A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode in a look back at Joss Whedon's iconic show. I'm MC, and I'm here with... This is Andy. And this is David. Okay, so this week is uh, The Puppet Show. It's episode 9 of season 1. It originally aired May 5th, 1997. It was directed by Ellen S. Pressman, which I think is the first woman we've had direct a Buffy episode. Yes. And it was written by Rob Deshotel and Dean Patali, um, who are returning after a couple episodes. I, I can't remember the... I think they the last one they did was Never Kill a Boy on the First Date. That is correct. Mm. It is Never Kill a Boy on the First Date. Yes. Of course, they were also, I believe, story editors at this point. Yeah, uh, I think mm. for the first season. I don't think they... They might have stayed through season two, but uh, they, um, I don't think they stayed on much after that. No, because um, they moved over to... I think we talked about it before. They moved over to uh, that 70s show. Or that was a little later. Yeah. Actually, I don't think we did talk about that. Oh, hmm. I thought we did. That, that's but yeah, knowledge. They um, were showrunners on that 70s show. Oh, cool. So this episode is The Puppet Show, which in re-watching it, I'm surprised by how much I liked it. Oh, I love this episode. Yeah, it, it's very charming. Yeah, I mean, it's a yeah. one-off. It's, it's nothing big. It's not earth-shattering. But I actually really like how everything works in this episode. I like all of the characters. And by all of the characters, I mean all of the characters. I'm like, oh my god, this is an episode where I don't hate Xander. I know, right? Me too! I was very excited about my non-hatred of Xander. Because he doesn't have a lot to do. Well, yeah. And also they give all the, a lot of the troublesome stuff to a puppet. True. They give all of Xander slides to Sid the puppet. Basically, yes. <laughs> Honestly, it didn't bother me so much. Well, that's no, the thing. That's like, the... that's like how, you know, if you do an animated show, you can get away with a lot more than you can if you do a live action show. That's very true. It's like, give give the horrible lines to the puppet. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, and like... Even the oh. puppet's lines weren't that bad. He was just no. a lech. Yeah. Yes, you know. exactly. <laughs> um, and... Even though Xander's part wasn't very big, I feel like everybody did have a thing to do. Like, actually, mm -hmm. if you're watching, like, the end scene, it's like, wow, like, it's not just Buffy kicking ass. Like, I mean, she is kicking ass, but Xander is involved and Willow's involved. And okay, Giles mm -hmm. is kind of playing the damsel in distress, but, you know, he has contributed in his Giles way up until then. This is kind of one of the first episodes where it's like, wow, they're starting to work as a group. Yes, that is one mm -hmm. thing I absolutely noticed. I put that in my notes. I'm like, they really solidify their team building and bonding in this episode. I, I love the scene sort of at the beginning where the kids are all razzing Giles. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's so cute. And it really does set up that dynamic that we'll be seeing, you know, throughout the whole series. And like Giles secretly loves everybody. You know, he's secretly like, oh, you horrible children and your man, man, you know. 
But yes. you know, I think he's secretly like, all right, these these kids are okay, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I think it's just, I think that that first scene is very, very, very cute. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and of course, very important in that it, uh, their their mocking of the talent show is almost immediately uh, thwarted by the appearance of an important new character. Yes. Oh, yes, Principal Uh, Snyder, played by Armin Shimmerman, who, can I please go on about how much I love Armin Shimmerman? Oh, he's wonderful. Everything. You know, I know he's been in everything. This is really the only thing I'm really familiar with him in, but he is so wonderful. Oh, I'm a in huge this. Trekkie, so I'm I'm very yeah. familiar with Armin Shimmerman. Um, I know, and he, I know, but I'm not. Yeah, so I like, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. But he is one of these actors who has really kind of flown under the radar. I think mostly because he is known for Star Trek, and he's known for being under prosthetics in Star Trek. Um, but every right. time he appears in something, he's always really good. And his role as Snyder. He's so good in it. And also, he was doing Buffy while he was doing uh, his stuff on Star Trek. Um, I think that was it was around the same time as Deep Space Nine. Like, So he was uh, pulling a lot of double duty there. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. He he's one him. of those a- actors that, you know, he's a that guy. Yeah. Um, yes, he was. I'm looking it up. He oh, was yeah. still because Deep Space Nine ran till 1999. Mm-hmm. So he was doing that series still at the time, and basically up until the time he got eaten on Buffy. Yes, which yes. I love. I, I yes. happen to love here where he keeps going on about how that's the kind of wooling-headed thinking that leads to being <laughs> eaten, and it's like, and and saying that you know, Principal Flutie was so lax, and that, and that's why he got eaten. Yeah, and it's like. Well, boy, you're 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 gonna get eaten too. So, <laughs> which I think is great, and I think I don't know. I mean, I'm sure at the time it wasn't foresight, right? They weren't like, oh, we'll make sure this guy gets eaten later to continue the joke. Yeah, but I don't know. I think that maybe when they got there to season three and sort of planned that climax, they're like, okay, we got it. We have to let the mayor eat yeah. Principal yes. Snyder just to bring it full circle, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah, I, 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 he's just, you know, I just, I, I just have a smile on my face thinking about Principal Snyder because he's just such a cool, I mean, he's horrible. Yeah. And you hate him so much, but like, it's the best kind of hatred. It's a gleeful hatred of like, yeah, this guy is great, great. Keep being awful. Well, he's horrible, but he's so funny. I know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And of course, speaking of funny, we've missed out on the most important part in this opening scene. And that uh, is Cordelia singing Whitney Houston's The Greatest Love of All. (laughs) <laughs> because it's yeah, a song yeah. about personal hygiene which is exactly what whitney houston <laughs> yes. meant when she sang the song uh- <laughs> of course now I, I have a note here saying court confidence is not cordy's problem her confidence is everyone else's problem yeah <laughs> um and then uh they actually uh call back to this moment uh this must be cordelia's favorite song because on Angel, when she has to sing for Lorne, she mm. ends up singing the song and slouching towards Bethlehem. And she hasn't gotten any better. Nope. 
No, she hasn't. I, I put a note, I put it in my notes that, you know, Cordelia is on fire in this episode. She's just a, a, a gift that just pop, oh. peppers through the episode yeah. in a way we haven't seen that character really fully peppered through an episode. It's usually like she comes in one scene, says something mean, walks off. That's what we see of, you know, charisma for the week. Yeah. But this one, she's sort of, you know, cause she, she said, I can't have people judging me. Like I'm some kind of Buffy. Yes. Another great line. Um, yeah, I just, yes. she's, she's, you know, and, and, I su- go ahead. And the bit, the bit where uh, Xander is is talking to her about Emily <laughs> is just I mean it's it's one time where you know I mean Xander for all the you know horrible things we say about him it's like we don't usually see him as a murderer and I really think he is just on the verge of just <laughs> snapping and strangling her throughout that entire scene. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's like Emma was my best friend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know, and, and the great thing is he goes, Emily, and we don't even get a whatever from Cordy. And she just keeps going. She goes into how it could have been her. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. No, I definitely think one of the really great things about this episode is that you can feel things starting to click into place. What uh, will carry through into the next season and basically all of the seasons of them mm-hmm. in the high school. They are, they've really started to develop their dynamic in this episode, I really think. Um, yeah, the characters are starting to gel. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it does, it gives us a real taste of what this show's going to be like and really where it's heading in that sort of genre flipping, um, putting everything in. I mean, because she would think an episode about a ventriloquist dummy would work so well but i think it gives the audience really a sense of oh so this is what this show is yeah like mm-hmm. I, and there are moments where you you genuinely feel for sid the puppet mm-hmm. and you genuinely feel for morgan but it's also really funny because um it's a ventriloquist dummy yeah and mm-hmm. cordelia's hilarious and then the team is really working well together um including the end where xander is the one that saves Giles while Buffy fights the bad guy. Not just Xander, but also Willow, and because Willow she's wielding yes. that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and this is, I think, the first episode where we really get twists in the main storyline. Oh, I guess the witch had it as well, but we get multiple twists in this one, mm-hmm. because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's Sid, oh, it's Morgan, oh no, it's Mark, and it's a demon. and like, right. They they really do well playing, you know, you know who's actually the one who did it. There there was mm-hmm. a real proper mystery here that you don't find out until the end. And Mark has not been a huge part of the episode, but he has been in it throughout the entire thing. And so it's like, oh, okay. Although yeah. I do have I do have a sort of a production note for them. It, it's you know it opens with that sort of point of view shot of the demon saying, you know, I shall be whole and yeah. all that and going and looking at all the participants. And it's really structured as a point of view shot. But I was going, wait, whose point of view is it? Because Mark's in that shot. Really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> huh. Okay. Well, that's a bobble. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort yeah. of like, I mean, I mean like, I, I, I mean, I kind of, know what they were the mood they were trying to set with that 
but te- from a technical standpoint, it's like, uh, no, that's he lying. Should not be there. Yeah, that's, yeah mm-hmm. that that is yeah. that goes beyond unreliable narrator. That's into like out and out. We are lying to you. Yeah, I did mm-hmm. not notice that. Um, but yeah, totally. That's bullshit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Damn you, Joss Whedon. Yeah. Um. Just or whoever com- directed the episode. Yeah. yeah. No, for not kind of catching that, but... I have a couple oh, yeah. of notes on fashion that I need to bring up because they come at the very uh, beginning of the episode. Um, Willow's rubber ducky shirt <laughs> really stood out to me. Um, I-, I don't know if I like it or not. Uh, because certainly I know... I mean, this was kind of before the ironic t-shirt like came into prominence. And certainly I know people that would wear a rubber decky shirt now, but it really stood out to me. And then also in like the next scene, Willow's wearing a striped shirt with dotted pants. And it is like the most clashy thing to ever clash. And I just, I really needed to say, I don't know what was up with the costumer and Willow's outfits for this episode. Yeah. Maybe they were still trying to make Willow not fit in. I, I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, I remember... I remember a bit of the clashy patterns back in the 90s, but yeah, yeah, it was... Yeah, I mean, the rubber ducky shirt is, you know, quite cute. Mm -hmm. I think. But yeah, the the pants... My my partner looked... Was sitting next to me and said, Is she wearing a Freddy Krueger shirt? Because of the color blend, he yeah. couldn't quite see that there were multiple colors, and he thought it just looked like a, you know, a red and green shirt that he thought she looked like Freddy Krueger yeah. was his was his comment on Willow's fashion. So it did stand out if someone randomly sitting next to me notices the bad fashion. Yeah, no, because I mean it was like this uh, red and green and orange and yellow striped shirt. And then, like, blue and green dotted pants. And so it's like, Willow, did you get dressed in the dark? Like, seriously, how did you think this was a good look? <laughs> well, um, and Willow Willow has some crazy looks, of course. We, she yeah. knows, she's known for the crazy birthday cake shirt, but it's it's a lot more purposeful, I think. Yeah. As a character choice instead of just ugly. But I did read something that talked about how the clothes changed between season one and season two yeah and even to mid-season middle of season two they really improved it's because sarah was like no and she asked for more labels and better fashion so she sort of took it on herself as the star of the show to say yeah this stuff this isn't really that fashionable so i would really like you to get me some fashionable clothes Mm -hmm. and the costume designers agreed and that's why everybody starts looking a little more spiffy yeah come season two so that's just a small yeah. trivia note. Um, so uh, Buffy, uh, her explanation as to why she finds dum- dummies creepy. I love it. I love that there's <laughs> oh, no yeah. reason for it. Yeah, no, th- th- there's no story there. I just, dummies creep me out. <laughs> yeah, and really, you don't need an actual reason. It's like, because, yeah, dummies are pretty creepy. And... Um, Sid, in particular, is very creepy uh, in that, you know, how do those eyebrows and eyes move? 
Like, right, I mean, again. we know, but, you know, there's I mean, no way that, that Morgan would be able to manipulate that if she said we're an actual dummy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, right. So that's got to be something of his mystical nature. Yeah. Right. That everything moves like that. Um, yeah, dummies are probably one of the scariest things. And, like, all I can think of through that this episode is that terrible comedian with the stupid ventriloquist dummies, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, who I'm usually forced to watch at holidays with my in-laws. Um, what oh, is his name? Well, Je- what, Jeff Dunham? Jeff, yeah. Jeff Dunham with his, you know, he's evil and his banal racial insensitivity. Um, mm-hmm. So he's not a good guy like Sid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. my creepy dummies. Yeah. Hatred coming out. Yeah, I, I, the thing about Sid that kind of gets me is that his behavior is kind of inconsistent. It's like, you think if he's hunting v- demons, he and Morgan would have some kind of understanding mm-hmm. of, of like, stealth. <laughs> and and the way they play it, it's like, first, you know, Morgan, they start with Morgan doing bad ventriloquism. Mm-hmm. like or, or actually not doing ventriloquism at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's literally just talking. Yeah. And and then Sid takes over. And it's like, really? Did you guys not plan this out I'm at trying all? to figure out how exactly this whole team up actually happened. Like, Yeah, that too. Yeah, like, how did Morgan end up getting Sid? Like, did he just, like, buy Sid at a shop or something? Why would Sid be there? Like... How how did this work out? Like, did Sid come up to Morgan and it's like, hey, I know I'm a living puppet, but can you take me into your school? I need to find a demon. Because, I mean, obviously Morgan knows what's going on. He's talking to Sid. Um, yeah. But- although although the first time in the first scene we see them, he actually looks surprised he when does. Sid takes over. So it's it's really it's not a consistent performance it's not consistently written i find that a little odd because the episode the episode overall is nicely put together mm-hmm. but that aspect of it seems like they gave no thought to i think my head canon on that now that i'm thinking about it is morgan's got brain cancer right mm-hmm. yeah and maybe he thinks the the dummy talking to him is a symptom of his cancer which can cause hallucinations personality changes yeah lots of that different kind of thing yeah but and there are so definitely times when he's he like no no yeah. sid would wait for me like he is very convinced that sid is animate i think actually like it never bothered me before that they don't really establish the backstory between morgan and sid it's only kind mm-hmm. of when i'm going back and really like watching you know under the microscope mm. And so I think for, you know, like a everyday viewer, they'll think it's fine. But yeah, yeah. I, um, I, mean, I, I guess you could come up with the idea that Sid, you know, figured out some way to infiltrate like Morgan wanted to like uh, do a ventriloquist act. So he bought a dummy mm-hmm. and Sid like arranged to have himself there or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's not so much the backstory that bothers me. It's the execution. Yeah. Once once they're together. Yeah. It's like. They really just pay no attention to trying to make Sid look like a puppet. I mean, like, Sid just does stuff where he's just clearly, like, taking over. Oh, yeah. And it's mm. like, mm, yeah, yeah, that's 
That's not a good plan. Yeah, and I mean, maybe, like, that time, like, in the first scene that we see them in, where Sid starts talking, maybe that's the first time Morgan has heard Sid talk, and then there's Mm. an explanation later on that we don't see, because Morgan has still got to be set up to be the bad guy. Yeah, I could see that, yeah. I mean, the other thing with Morgan that I have a problem with is, given the whole brain cancer thing, like... Why is he not being apparently treated? Yeah, that that is sort of bothersome to me. I mean, it's like there is no indication that they're doing anything about his brain cancer. Well, um, uh, the the thing that bothered me the most about it was the fact that his teacher did not know. If he has been out of school Mm -hmm. for half the year and it is in his medical his school medical records, his teacher would know. Right. And so she's like, well, you know, you've seemed so far away. And I was like, well, of course you seem so far away. You know, this is what's happening to him. And also the protocols for treatment of brain cancer. I'm sorry, that kid's not in school. That he's yeah. just not. I, I, oh, yeah. I am currently interning at a comprehensive cancer center. So this, <laughs> I see this every day. The kid's not in school. He's just. That's just not a place he can be right now, unless he's in remission, and he's not. He's obviously he, not. He's clearly and not. And he's not. He yeah. would be, at, at the place where he is with his cancer, he'd be doing palliative care and pain management. So, yeah. you know, but hey, I know things about that. <laughs> well, yes. Unfortunately, I, I, mean, I do as well, so. Yeah, for sure. As do I, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's not, you know, it's, but, but the thing is, it's like, I think even the most, not knowledgeable person would go oh brain cancer that's really serious yeah and you don't just like live your normal life while you've got brain cancer (laughs) which will come back around to in season five it no actually Mm. we'll come back to it in season two yeah uh brain cancer is well that they go to a lot i actually yeah no that's true Uh, that that yeah uh, yeah. yeah. Um, wow, our fun little episode turned into a conversation about really serious things, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, that it. Yeah, there 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 are bits of there are parts. That's the th- actually the thing that's most frustrating for me is that overall this is really kind of a maybe charming is the wrong word, but it's really just a nice episode. Yeah. It it is but, a nice episode, and I really but, like. Go ahead. Yeah, but no, the, but there are just these like certain things that are just really just like big things yeah. that pop up, and go, and you go, what? Well, you know, eh. I was very curious about the dancer band rivalry. <laughs> oh yeah, that's one of my favorite lines. Is you know about that dancer band rivalry, and Buffy's yes. like. Uh, okay. I don't I've like, he- how is I've, yeah, I've heard about that. I've heard about that. <laughs> Besides some of these little problems that we're talking about, yeah, it, it does have some really great jokes. Yeah. And oh, I yeah. really like, I like all the red herrings going yeah. along that we don't quite know. Yeah. Because, you know, first we think what Buffy thinks it's they Morgan. They think it's Morgan and to start Sid- with, yeah. Morgan and then Sid thinks it's Buffy. (laughs) And Sid thinks it's Buffy, and then they find out, and then you're actually... And then they don't know. Well, and then they really set that up as it's Principal Snyder. 
They do set keeps, up some principal stuff. There is. Yeah, he there keeps, is that one scene where, like, Giles see, sees Principal Snyder in the shadows. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. the only reason that scene is there is to make you think it's Snyder. Yeah, and ha- there's, I mean, there's all no of narrative the scenes purpose. with uh, Snyder kind of lurking. And it's like, what are you doing here, you know, after hours? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Right, and, and he's a brand new character, and we exactly. haven't seen him. And he seems pretty darn evil, which he kind of is in a yeah. great way. Yeah. But... Yeah, so I think it's really set up. Like, you're like, okay, it's not this kid, and it's not the dummy. He's a good guy. Oh, it's this evil little Ferengi-looking guy that many of us recognize from Star Trek. It's got to be him. Yeah, Right. It's got to be him. Um, And, of course, it turns out to be the kid that has had basically no significance whatsoever over anyone else in the episode. He just happens to be one of the kids in the talent show. Yeah, and he's had a couple of scenes. They do kind of set him up as a character, but it is kind of, oh, you know, the butler did it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also, also, one thing I have to say about him, when he does finally, when he reverts to his demon form, I think up to this point, this is like one of the better realizations of... A, of a costume because it really does look like the picture in the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not at all inconsistent with mm-hmm. that. So yeah. I'm like, points for that, guys. That's... And the way they actually set up this transformation, they have Buffy punch him and like part of his skin comes away and she's like, ew. Yeah. And then she mm-hmm. locks him in the box and then he comes out of the box as the demon. It's like, that's right. a really nice reveal. Yeah. I actually... um Remember that very clearly when Buffy first started, um, the, uh, Toronto Star TV guide that, you know, like came every Saturday or whatever. They did an article on Buffy and I clearly remember the promo shot they used was of Buffy from this episode with the, uh, demon Mark's arms coming out of the box. And that's Mm. just always something that has stuck with me. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that, like, the great strength of this episode is that it's, I think it breaks all records for number of red herrings, and and the red herrings are handled incredibly yeah. well. The development of one to the next to the next to the next just really works, because they're all plausible, mm-hmm. and and the reasons that it turns out that they're not the killer are plausible. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like the typical red herring thing where half the time you're like, yeah, it was kind of, I really, it was kind of, yeah, I knew it wasn't that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, they have the great line as, does anybody else feel like they've been Kaiser Sosaid? Which I, I have yes. that in my notes, yeah. yeah. Um, which I, I, I wrote a whole thing about, you know, again, I think we talked about this before, of that new use of language and vocabulary. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I, and I, the Kaiser so say they're verbing a noun. Yeah. Right. And it, I have been accused many times of talking like I'm a Buffy character. I don't even yeah. know where that comes. What? But it's funny because it's people around my age or a little bit older that watched the show when it originally came out. But Younger people that I know that are now discovering the show or discovered a few years ago, people in their, you know, late teens and early 20s, they think nothing of the way I sort of, and I don't think it's an affectation. I think it's just seeped in there over years. Oh, yeah. Because Mm -hmm. they talk like that, too. They verbify things. And these are kids that have either never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer 
or saw it really late in their life and it already talked like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. again, I th- one of the revolutionary things about Buffy and one of the reasons I love it so much is that real play on language, which I think mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. really appealed to me then and certainly appeals to me now. So yeah, it, but it certainly it certainly contributed to popular slang. I mean the the thing where Buffy says, "Yeah, I saw a dummy and it gave me the wig." It's like the whole like the Wiggins thing. Like mm-hmm. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when nobody said that. Mm-hmm. And and so like, I mean, for me, it clearly comes from Buffy. Oh yeah. And there's so, a lot there's a lot of like just terms and language that for me is like like no, obviously I first saw this on Buffy. Mm-hmm. And it no, wormed I, its way into the language. I do remember the term Wiggins being used before Buffy. Because. Okay. Because I, well, I just I, remember. Well, but, I assumed it came from somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it didn't didn't actually originate right. in Buffy. But I think because. I think it was sort of a chicken egg thing. Like with mm-hmm. Joss and the other writers. Seeing these, these terms being used a bit. And then taking them and putting them in the show. Which intensified their real world usage. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, if you listen to Joss Whedon talk, a lot mm-hmm. of this cadence and rhythm yes. is Joss. I mean, yeah. he does speak that way. He does make up kooky words, and uh, which is great. I one of the reasons I love Joss and love this show because it has such a lasting impact on our culture. Hence, the reason we're talking about this twenty years later. Yeah, and I think right. uh, some of the other writers that we'll get onto the show, some of like the really um, uh, notable ones, like Jane Espenson, Drew Goddard, mm-hmm. you also hear kind of the same sort of voice with them, which is, I think, probably mm-hmm. how they ended up getting the job on the show in the first place, and that just kind of attracted people that had like that Buffy voice kind of as an everyday thing. Yeah, I think I think as as the show gained popularity, Joss sort of took that the power that gave him and brought in people of his mindset and language yeah to yeah it's uh yeah and john i have to say i i this on the dvd set this is the disc now we just now get to the disc where there's the interview with Joss about angel and the puppet show Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i'm looking at Joss. i'm like you look like you're like 15 years old you're just like way too young i think he was 15 years old how was how old was he though in this 30s 30 something probably yeah i mean that sounds about right i mean he had already i mean he already had a career yeah at this point right uh he was Um, born in 64 so oh then he's my age yeah so 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 he was 30 something yeah Yeah. right 32 yeah 32 yeah yeah that sounds about right so yeah, and of course, in that interview, he also he also uh, covers the the origin of the of the uh, company name Mutant Enemy. Mm-hmm. That was his typewriter, out. wasn't it? That was his typewriter. But the thing he doesn't mention, and which I find kind of odd, is that you would go, okay, well, why would you name your your typewriter or anything Mutant Enemy? And of course, those of us who are are infected with the prog rock bug we know that mutant enemy is actually a phrase from the yes song and you and i oh really yes so so that's and and i have seen 
it confirmed in various sources that that yes, that is in fact where Joss got the term for his typewriter. Oh, cool! So, oh, that's great. I know I that. that. Yeah, I am not. I know a few songs by Yes. Mm-hmm. I was never much of a prog rocker, but I appreciate the trivia, which I will now bury in my brain for trivia night. There at you the go. Pub. I, I live me. to serve. I will now win me free drinks with that information. So thank you. Okay. Oh, my pleasure. So we might have to chalk this up to the Hellmouth, but there's a murder and they don't cancel the talent show. And then there is also, <laughs> there is a murder and Joyce is asking Buffy, Buffy, is something wrong? You know, something seems to be bothering you. Oh, God, yes, that's right. The does she know? Did they even well, call there was the parents? Well, mur- there was a murder on campus. Uh, like, yeah, but it's Sunnydale. But there's some murder on campus every day yeah, or so. I mean, th- sure. I mean, it's just, this is um, this is why it has to be chalked up to the hell mouth. But Always. Because it's like, well, because, I mean, like, there, I mean, this was a definitive murder. Like, I mean, there's, like, a murder weapon and everything. Like, there was a suicide on campus. Um, right. And there have been people that have, you know, disappeared or whatever. And even that, I, up to this point, I don't think anybody's actually, you know, like, been killed, like, except for, like, the uh, first episode. There's not been a student who's been, like, killed actually on campus. Um, right. So, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like it would be, I guess we're now getting to the point where this stuff is just going to be, you know, hand-waved. You know, there's no more... Uh, you know, trauma counselors coming in because yeah. no, doesn't I'm, seem like it. it I it, it, yeah, it. I think if they notified every parent of every murder, every kid would no longer be going to Sunnydale High yeah. School. But you know, right. um, but I mean, I mean, at various times through the series, they do point out that people just kind of hand forget. wave things away. Yeah, they do. I mean, they do it in the first in the pilot. Yeah, you know, because you know, you know, Xander's like, "Oh my God, tomorrow we're going to go to school, and what's it going to be like?" And it's exactly the same scene as the opening yeah. of the show. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's just like, "What's going on?" And Giles says, "Well, people, you know, they uh, work these things out in their heads, and they, they rationalize the they things rationalize things. That was forget, the word. I they, yes. they rationalize the things they can and forget the things they can't. Um, right. If I." If I remember if- correctly, like, this is something that does come up a lot in these types of shows. And enough that it's actually a trope on TV tropes. And it was originally called Sunnydale Syndrome. Uh, mm. I don't think it is anymore. Uh, okay. But, I mean, that's... And the interesting thing will be when we get to the end of season three. Yeah. And we get the admission at the prom that... The kids people are- actually People actually do remember. Yeah. They don't talk about it, they don't think about it, but they really know that stuff is going on and they know that there are people protecting them. I'm just thinking about in Once More with Feeling when Xander is looking at the newspaper and the headline says, you know, like everybody's singing, officials say demons definitely not to blame. (laughs) Which is basically (laughs) the entire town of Sunnydale, right? And Obviously, in a show like this, you have to just chalk it up to the Hellmouth and you have to hand wave it because you can't spend, you know, three quarters of your episode having your parent deal with your yeah. the latest letter from 
the school that says, hey, we had a murder. Yeah. It just yeah. it just really stuck out to me. It's like mm-hmm. if That's Joyce fine. hadn't mentioned it at all. But the fact mm-hmm. that she was just like, is there something bothering you, Buffy? And it's like, well, yeah, of course, you know, there's stuff bothering her. Right. But guess I what? Did li- I did like that Joyce was trying to be supportive and she wanted to go to the talent show. Yeah. I, I did have the thought that it was like, wow, this is the best mothering Joyce has actually done <laughs> since since we've started the show. And, you know, I'm keeping track of whether something passes the Bechdel test. This one does because Yay. of that conversation with <laughs> Joyce and Buffy, which is not about boys. Well, I think the, the Joyce and Buffy conversations usually do pass the Bechdel test. I am more yeah. interested in... When we get uh, Buffy and Willow to actually pass mm-hmm. the Bechdel test. But this is our first episode that actually does. Yeah. Um, like, we have not actually had a an episode. I don't think I counted, and I don't think I was really looking for it in the first two, but after that, it sort of put in my mind. So now I put a little I think thing on the- my notes that says, Bechdel test, did we pass? And yes or no. I think and the why we did. actually happens, because... Buffy and Joyce talk about uh, Buffy being on the cheerleading squad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the conversations with mother and daughter do tend to be less focused on boys. Just for our listeners, like, we do bring up the Bechdel test. Uh, It's not something that I really put a lot of stock into. Basically, it's the bare minimum. Like, if you don't Mm -hmm. pass it, that's when it's, like, super glaring. It's it's not like Mm -hmm. you get a check mark if you do pass it. It's just like... No, Yay! it is the bare minimum. You got the bare be. minimum. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, obviously, I'm probably the wrong person to talk about the Bechdel test here. But I, my feeling about the Bechdel test is I think the way that people apply it to individual works is a mistaken way to apply it. I think the Bechdel test is much more meaningful and important in the fact that so few things pass the Bechdel test. It's like a given work may or may not pass the Bechdel test, and I don't I don't see that as inherently significant for that work. Mm-hmm. But the fact that there are so many works yeah. that can't meet that standard oh, is yeah. the point of the Bechdel test. Yeah. yeah. I'm just kind of keeping track for fun. Yeah. Also Buffy oh, yes. at Buffy as an entity, as a show, as a Serialized story that lasts 144 episodes passes the Bechdel test time and time and time and time and time again. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. sort of that nitty gritty of that like analysis. Yeah, I don't expect something like Saving Private Ryan to yeah. pass the Bechdel test because that is actually not what that yeah. film is about and, you know, what it's supposed to be about. But definitely right. for something like Buffy, which made its bones on being so feminist, it's mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. interesting that. There are so few episodes so far that have passed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I mean, I, I think I, I think it will be interesting, certainly. I mean, I, I'm kind of glad you are keeping track because I, I think, as I say, for an individual piece of work, it's perhaps not significant. But I think definitely by the time we get to the end of Buffy, it will be very interesting to see how well it does mm-hmm. as a as an entire series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As far as the Bechdel test is concerned. Yes, I, I like I said, I'm keeping track, so... Uh... Oh, good, good. So, um, I really need to bring up the character, Xander, because we talk about him every week. And uh, this episode has 
thus far my favorite scene of Xander, and he's not even in the scene. <laughs> the scene where Giles is talking to Cordelia. And oh, yes. He looks yes. at her hair. And he's like, your hair. And she gets all paranoid and runs off to go fix her hair. And Giles says, Sandra was right. It worked like a charm. <laughs> yes, that was that is a wonderful moment. Yeah, I was like, best yes. use of Xander. And he wasn't even in the scene. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hey, but it shows that Giles is listening to his young charges. Yeah, it, it is and the gelling of the group. It is. It is. The, the Scooby gang is really starting to, to formulate. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're starting to become a united front against everyone else, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but a, a, a question, and this is part of the, you know, some of the structural problems in this episode. Why does Morgan have sit out in class? Like, I know, like, he's, you know, Sid is out so that he can look menacingly at Buffy. But what teacher would allow a student to have this dummy just on his hand while she's talking? Uh, yeah, I, I'm i a little conflicted about that. I, I, I'm sort of like, I can come, I could probably come up with an explanation, but it's still weird. Yeah, oh. it really is. I'm trying to think of when I worked with kids a little younger and, and around this age, and I don't know if someone has an object that obviously brings them happiness. You know what I mean, like like a comfort object. You know, yeah. It's when the and it's when it becomes disruptive, right? But mm-hmm. if I was just like a teacher and this like kind of kooky kid is like, no, I really prefer to sit here with my dummy. I'd be like, yeah, all right, what ups. Please don't disrupt my class. And being uh, right, I was in high school during yeah. this time. I can say that most teachers probably wouldn't let that fly. It was, you know, uh, yeah, it just really stuck out to me that that would have been a, you got to put that away. Uh, I'm guessing she's just a holdover from the Flutie administration. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> well, but, is but- she gonna get eaten? I don't know. I, I do we ever see her again? No, I don't think she, so. I think uh, she's a woolly-headed liberal. Uh-oh. Yep. I might um, I might be getting eaten myself. And you know, another great the scene with Xander and Sid. Yes. He It's great. Yeah, he is obnoxious, but he is obnoxious in the I'm a goofy teenage boy way, which is the perfectly fine mm. way for Xander to be obnoxious. And apparently the Mostly, yeah. I I do have one problem with that scene is his total insensitivity to Buffy's feelings on this. I have notes about that from all of them, actually, yeah. Well, Um, they're also disbelieving of Buffy, and it's like, every episode up until this point, Buffy's been right. Hmm? Well, yeah, and and actually, the the line in the, uh, on the DVD set, when it goes into the episode... Because each each episode, when you go from the menu into the episode, it has like this transitional uh, frame, and then a, and a quote uh, a line from the episode over mm-hmm. the thing. And the one for this episode is contains the line, "I'm not just some crazy person; I'm the, the slayer. slayer." Yeah. <laughs> Though I mean, I have to say, I kind of I'm kind of okay with what Xander did, just because he has Sid. In his lap at the moment. He's got his hand up Sid. 
Um, mm. It's like I, the whole reason why he stole Sid was one to give Buffy a chance to talk to Morgan, but also to show Buffy it's like Sid's just a dummy. Granted, we find out later that you know Sid is not just a dummy, <laughs> right? Um, but from for all intents and purposes, he seems to be one. So I can kind of you know let Xander away with the whole him whole being obnoxious. Uh, and also, yeah, it was so funny, and it was most of it was ad libbed by Nikki. Right, so. I was mm-hmm. going to say the especially the red rum was totally yeah. an ad lib, yes. and um, but yeah, the the whole team though it's still bothering me, and I'm putting in my notes every week. It's like time and time again you've seen Buffy be right, and yes, you're continuing to question sort of her wisdom. So my permanent hashtag for this is "Don't Scully me." <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's this like like it's time to sort of go, well, you know, for the last several weeks, um, every time there's been an issue, Buffy's been able to figure it out. And we gave her yeah. an awful lot of shit for that. Maybe we should um, stop doing that. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, yeah. I do think the Buffy being right in every episode is something that's going to start to peter off. Uh, it is very much mm-hmm. present in the first season, but later on, it doesn't turn up quite as much. It's still there. But they do kind of tweak the character so that she is more of the, I'm going to fight things, and everybody else is going to take care of the research and everything, so. Yes, but I think there are many times in the show where Buffy is absolutely right because it's an intuition, it's a feeling, yeah. and they, they, Buffy gets a little gaslighted in some of these episodes where she's like, no, I know yeah. this is what this is, yeah. and they just... I don't know, for some reason or another, just can't believe that she may actually know what she's talking about and have that, not just intuition, like that deep slayer connection to the forces intuition Mm -hmm. that the rest of them don't have. So So, uh, one thing we haven't talked about a lot uh, yet is um, the actual how Sid is done. And Mm. I was actually fairly impressed by the way they did Sid. Because, uh, I mean, he doesn't look great, but he looks as good as he should look for being a ventriloquist dummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he looks appropriately good. Yeah. Um, and, like, the fight scene between Sid and Buffy, I like how they handled this, where they handicapped Buffy so that it could be an mm-hmm. actual fight. And they do a lot of close-ups on Sid so that they don't need to really manipulate the puppet mm-hmm. a lot but it also makes things feel a lot more claustrophobic like buffy is you know you yeah. know held down at the time so yeah joss even comments in the interview that you know that they they trapped buffy to to make it a fair fight essentially oh, yeah. they, they had to do it i mean there was no other way that the mm-hmm. fight would work otherwise buffy would just i mean there's the episode in, uh, i think it's season four when buffy squishes the tiny fear demon yeah yes yes <laughs> I have a fear demon. I have uh, a tiny fear demon from a Gacknar. set of. I have a little Gaknar, and I actually keep him with my like calming meditation crystals to like remind me that fear really is only as big as Gaknar. Aw, yes, Aww. another instance of Buffy being a touchstone for me in my yeah. psychological screwed upness. Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm trying to play off my geekiness, where it's like I think it's season four, but then it's like it's Gaknar. That's the name like of the it's demon. Gaknar. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I think no, I, I'm pretty yeah. sure it is season four. Actually, it is. It's the episode it fair is. itself. Yeah. It, it, it has to be because yeah. Dawn's Dawn's not involved. Yeah, no, Oz and, is still and they're around. in college. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's the yeah. Halloween episode of season yeah. four, fear right. itself. With I am Gatnar. Yes. <laughs> there you go. We will get to that eventually, several years from now, and uh, everybody's expressions when they finally find out the truth about Sid. I just, yes, I love it. Yeah. I really like the um when they when they start Buffy and Sid start interrogating each other. It's like no you, and it's it's this very parody of a hard boiled detective dialogue. Yeah, yes, which I think and works I- so well with Sid's particular voice. Yeah, yes. um, and his particular time period. It is. It's yeah. very. He's like a, a, a hard boiled. 1930s detective demon hunter turned into a puppet did they ever do any like story about sid like as like a human demon hunter like in tales from the slayer or anything like that i don't think they did that's a missed opportunity i think that is a shame it would it would be really nice to see like a you know old tales of sid stories and i mean of course like sid Talks about how he, you know, had some good times with the Slayer. Yeah. He does show up in um, the second Buffy video game. Chaos Bleeds, yeah. Yeah, which I actually have a copy of on it's, my shelf. I, I have it too. It's a great game. I didn't like that one as much as the first game. I like. I, I enjoyed that one a little better. I never played the first one. I only played Oh, Chaos I love Bleeds, the first one. It's I fantastic. I, it was a really good game. Yeah. I, uh. Yeah, I have I have both of them, and I, I prefer the other one, but I do know that, that Sis does show up in Chaos Bleeds. Yeah, so. I think the first one was only for Xbox, and I never had Xbox, so... I ah, really and I had an it. Xbox, so, yeah. you know, that's why... Chaos Bleeds did come out for PlayStation, so... I bought an Xbox just so I could play that game. Aw, you're such yeah. a nerd! <laughs> what, really? I never heard that before! <laughs> I'm a nerd? Really? Tell me more about that. <laughs> oh, sh- oh, come on. We're not nerds. We're doing no, a Buffy we're, podcast. We're we clearly are, not nerds. Clearly not. We are clearly the coolest kids in school yeah. and always were. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I have notes here about Oedipus Rex, so, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, well, I have no. I have a note saying how much I remember the stupid power circle. <laughs> Like, oh, God. Form the power circle, and Giles doesn't know what the power circle is. I'm like, oh, the power yeah. circle. Yeah. Because oh. not o- not only are you a nerd, you're a theater nerd. A former theater nerd, yes. Okay. Oh, it never goes away. It never really goes away, <laughs> yeah. no. But my um, favorite thing about the power circle, though, is Giles gathers everybody and then just goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all like, what? <laughs> here's the other that's it you were gonna talk about oedipus Um, oh well i i'll talk i can bring that up at the end of the episode but i just said that i do have notes about it so just to show you that you know when i mention that you know you're a nerd that's what we call hypocritical humor i know (laughs) (laughs) and i was teasing i was being mock offended so um so here's what I, the other thing I wanted to talk about. Giles is not at all interested in being the librarian. No, he's not. He's like, only he has there because no of Buffy. Interested, interest in what his actual job is. And I'm like, well, then why does he need the cover? Oh, I'm like, I, I guess it's so he can justify hanging out with a teenage girl. 
Well, he does like books. Oh, well, he loves books. I'm sure he'd be really happy being a librarian at not a high school. Well, no, I'm sure he'd be happy being a librarian at a library that no one ever comes into. Uh, he is a librarian at a, <laughs> well, a, libra- yeah. a library that nobody ever comes into. I think there's an episode in the second season where Jonathan comes into the library, and yeah. Xander's and Xander and Giles are like super shocked that there's somebody in there. Yeah, well, that's sort of a, almost a running joke. Is like when anyone other than the Scooby Gang comes into the the library, they just look at them like they must be lost. Yeah. <laughs> Right, but he obviously, so I guess my little headcanon for this is, like, any other Slayer, he would not have had take this cover job. No, he wouldn't. Right, because she would have been identified early on, taken from her family, Mm. just, you know, trained with, you know, that watcher and done the thing, but I guess he needs this sort of you know, excuse to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it's an excuse for the writers to integrate him into yeah. their everyday lives. I mean, yeah. of course, and- we can also possibly use, like, headcanon it that Giles is, like, right over the Hellmouth. Like, the Hellmouth opens up in that library. Oh, yeah. Yes. So, Good point. Yeah, he can, like, almost yeah. be, like, the guardian of the Hellmouth. And actually, that was something that they were going to introduce into Angels Season 5. Had they been able to get Anthony Stewart head, they were going to have uh, Giles be guarding the deeper well. So, mm. oh. basically, uh, but yeah, they couldn't get Anthony Stewart head, so then they introduced the character of Drogon. So, basically, mm. Giles can almost be serving as the guardian of the Hellmouth while he's, you know, mm. as the librarian so yeah well that makes a lot of sense that that you know sort of clears up but yeah he doesn't want to be yeah no i mean like this is this is totally headcanning him the only reason he is there is because they need him to be there because everything happens at the high school well also also i'm 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 thinking from 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 the perspective of the watchers council it's like the last time they sent a traditional watcher to watch over buffy he got killed yeah that is true (laughs) so so they probably thought, like, we we need to do something different here. <laughs> it also probably helps keep the cost of Giles down, because they do mention over on Angel that all the alchemists on the board, and they still make us fly coach. So the Watcher's Council <laughs> is notoriously cheap. So if they can mm. get True. Giles to pull in an extra paycheck, I'm sure they appreciate it. Which, you know, I was thinking about this the other day with the Giles and the cover story. You know, Buffy had an original watcher which is like it's canon adjacent because they did the origin comic but they have the origin comic and they do show merrick briefly in right which which i guess we'll talk about it when we get to becoming but i'm like is that the only american watcher we ever see we'll get there later yeah (laughs) put a pin in that andy and remind me guys that i would like to talk about that there are american watchers i don't think we particularly see them wesley was supposed to be an american watcher originally but i guess joss just really liked alexis's british accent his not real british accent yeah but his british accent is way better than his natural accent like his that's true. I, i'm re-watching dollhouse right now and i'm sorry alexis's it's natural so speaking voice is, it's it. nasal but it's nasal and it's not very nice and as wesley i'm like all right talk to me all day so you know <laughs> Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, uh, is, is, um, oh God. 
Uh, the Watcher Harris Yulin plays in, uh, oh, now I'm forgetting the name of the episode. It should be obvious. Uh, the one where they test, where helpless. helpless, yes. Is he American? Because Harris Yulin certainly is. I, I think he is, yeah. Okay. Uh, hmm, we'll get, yeah. I'll... Now, I mean, we're, we're a ways off. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, I think most of the Watchers we've seen have been British, but I don't think that it is, uh, you know, a certainty. Um, and given given the origins of the Slayer and the Watchers, it's kind of funny that they're British. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, I think most, it's mostly because of Joss's Anglophilia. Well, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Oh, oh, you want to talk about real world reasons? Fine. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Sorry, we get meta around here. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so, um, since we've been talking about Giles, I think one mm. of the highlights of this episode is seeing Giles in a cardigan. <gasps> oh my god, I have it in my notes! <laughs> I, it says, and also Giles in that shawl color sweater. Oh dear me, my loins. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, David. It, no, that's fine. I... I'm used to it by now. Yeah, that's fine. This is your weekly edition of Andy Less After Giles. Uh, Andy and MC, because I yeah, have that absolutely. same note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, it's nice. I mean, this is the first time we've seen him kind of not in all of the tweed, which we will see more of coming up in later seasons. But it was like, oh, he still looks so British because he's wearing a cardigan, but... It's, yeah, and one of them is really pretty chic, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. The other one is very Mr. Rogers. There's a there's a, a mm. brownish tan one that comes up later in the episode, yeah. and they don't do that again for a while. Yeah. They stick him back in the tweed until I think until um, the Dark Ages. Yes, until Dark Ages, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. I just w- I would just want to warn you. I expect you to cut me some slack when we hit the wish. You mean the willow and the leather? Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be right there with you. <laughs> okay, <that>. good. <laughs> Allie Hannigan made me realize things about myself. Oh. I, 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 I adore willow. I've, I've, yeah, I, I make no, I, I don't go on about it all that often, but I make no secret about my, my absolute crush on willow. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, that's going to be so hard when I start. Talking about how I really hate Willow um, in later no, seasons. That, oh, she's problematic in the later seasons. I still have a crush on her, but but yeah, there are issues. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, well, then they, yes. I mean, I mean, there, sure. there there are people in life who I love dearly, but they have issues. <laughs> it's you know. Yeah. I know. Allison Hannigan is really good looking. Very oh, yeah. cute. cute and, woman, and Willow so. is just adorable. So I guess uh, yeah. Um, are we up to final thoughts? Or well, I, think, I have a couple of random things. Yeah. But. Um. Well, I mean, just for the the end scene. I mean, we have already talked about it. I really loved how just everybody's contributing to that last fight, other than Giles. Oh but... yeah. Well, well, he is he 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 is tied up at the time. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And I do have yay for Xander saving Giles's beautiful head. Yes. Um, and all it was really strange, but when Sid stabs the Mark Demon, um, it's the vamp dusting sound effect. Mm. Oh, it really stood out that. to me. That is like, wow, that's what it sounds like when they dust the vamps. And then, okay. of course, we get the ending. You know, 
I don't get it. What is it? Avant garde. <laughs> Avant garde. <laughs> that is wonderful. That is. <laughs> I, you know, it actually made me think of um, several plays I've been in over the years. Speaking of yeah. the theater geek, where my parents went, well, that was something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't quite get it, but you were real good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean. Even here, even on the podcast here, we've definitely gone to like, yep, that was an episode. Yep. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> well, I, but most of those shows that I was in, I was like super proud of and they made sense to me and the other people that right. saw it. It was just yeah. my friends, my parents going, that was a bit avant-garde. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I know that my parents have used that word about some of the projects I've done is, it was a bit avant-garde, honey. We didn't quite get that. Mm-hmm. Um. But anything that wasn't musical theater was a little bit avant-garde. So, right. Uh, you know. And, and so, then we get um, the actual end of the episode. Oh, which is... What is the yes. greatest scenes ever on yeah. Buffy. Yeah, it is the only time they have ever done a uh, credit, you know, a an end credit sequence. And it's so good. I mean, I think the reason why they didn't do it more after this is because they showed it once on the WB, and every time they re-ran it, they didn't re-show it. It didn't show up again until yeah. it was on DVD. But yeah, it, it... Joss mentions that in the interview. Yeah. He also mentions it was the hardest thing they ever shot because basically no one could stop laughing. Yeah, I could definitely <laughs> see that. Um, Joss on the season seven DVD actually made a comment about it. The network hated it. Um, and the note said, we realize that it's Shakespeare, but does he have to talk about sleeping with his mother? We realize that it's Shakespeare? <laughs> Oedipus Rex is mm. not at all Shakespeare. It was written about 2,000 years before Shakespeare was born. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, kill me now. Oh. <sighs> yeah. I, I think it's perfect. Like, what? What they chose to do was amazing, and it's so badly acted. And acting bad for actors is not the easiest thing to do. It's not. I remember, um, I think it's on a commentary documentary on Boogie Nights, yeah, which is one of my favorite films. Mm. And it's Julianne Moore talking about how absolutely hard it was to be a bad actor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because you know that when they're shooting the porno scenes in Boogie Nights, they all have to be bad porno actors, yeah. and they had a a contest to see who could do the worst acting. Yeah. And um, <laughs> she said it was something about holding your hands. There's a certain way novice actors have of holding their their hands and not knowing what to do with them. That was sort of her key into that. So yeah, bad acting is really hard for a decent actor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, we get the wonderful little ad lib from Allie Hannigan at the end where she runs off the stage. Yes. Mm-hmm. My my favorite, though, is Sarah in that she's like, oh, Oedipus, I have a, like, yeah, she's, <laughs> Xander's at least trying. He like, really is. He is trying just a little bit, which kind of matches with Xander's character. Yeah, he, 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 there's just, it's, there's a bit too much, actually. Yeah. What? Well, well, he was like, "Well, I might actually enjoy this acting thing, so I'll actually try to." And Buffy's like, "I ain't having it." And Willow, especially at this point in her growth oh, and yeah. development, um, is like, "Nope, I'm out. I'm noping out of this." Because we see throughout the course of the series, actually, that character through line goes through. Yeah, like mm-hmm. she I, has the dream definitely... about 
come up in the next episode. It will. And then even going up into Restless in season four. Yep. And her her fear of the fact that she has to be in this play without knowing her lines, you know, and just, yeah. But then if I remember correctly, in season five, she actually talks about taking a drama class. Hmm. Or, or she, she see, it's, it's season it's season four where she's thinking about taking a drama class oh, okay. and then it and then it shows up in restless okay that she takes this drama class that she's never actually been to okay yeah. so um, I, I have to say so this, yeah, this whole up. that whole thing makes makes me feel very special that i'm i'm one of the relatively few people who has actually seen allison hannigan on stage oh really, oh, really? yes believe it or not for some reason Someone decided to adapt when Harry met Sally oh, into yeah. a play. Oh yeah, and this this only, as far as I know, it only played in England. It did not mm-hmm. come to the states, and it starred Alison Hannigan and Luke Perry. Oh God! So so oh, a Buffy a sort of Buffy mashup here. Yeah, and it was not terrible. It was pointless because there was no reason to like if right. you were to remake that movie i'd have the same feeling it's like why yeah but but i mean she was fine <laughs> just, just fine yeah. it was just sort of you well, were there, there wasn't a lot to work with to be honest right yeah. it's, you know and luke and how was luke perry he was fine he was luke he was perry fine. It was, I mean, it was a perfectly enjoyable play it was it was nothing special it was it was good but it was not like all that mm-hmm. by any means. It's a, it's a romantic comedy, which and it's a great. It's one of the greatest romantic comedies ever made. Mm-hmm. But... I, I, I think whoever adapted it to stage just didn't do that good a job of adapting it to stage. Mm-hmm. Really, as uh, the problem. So, and, yeah, yeah, and that's just not the kind of movie that I think works on stage. There's exactly. anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. So, well, that's cool that you got to see. Yeah, both no, of them was... as. I was it. I was in England when it was playing, and I was like, "Oh, I have to go see this." So yeah, that's awesome. Well, when you're yeah, able to I do stuff it. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you're the one that saw Benedict Cumberbatch and Hamlet, and yeah, UK, I did. So I saw it twice. Yeah, you're one to talk. Missy. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't <laughs> see that live. I, I saw it bro- I saw it broadcast. But me uh, too. Yeah I, yeah, I saw it live twice, and I got to meet him afterwards. Fine. (laughs) Uh, But I haven't met anybody from the. Well, no, actually, that's not true. I've met a couple of the Buffy uh, people, like at conventions and stuff. Yeah, I've met Nikki quite a few times. I think I've talked about that before. I actually have a a picture of him here, and he squeezed my back fat. I'll keep reminding you guys (laughs) of that. So, this whole podcast is about Nikki. Brendan has touched my back fat. Uh, So, wonderful. Well, uh, we have kind of, I think, agreed that this episode was, you know, all right. Yeah, it w- even maybe good. Just I like uh, with it a, a lot. With a, yeah. with a couple of with a couple of problems. Yeah, though we are actually quite alone in that uh, summation <laughs> of it. This is the lowest rated episode of Buffy in the entire series. It got a one point. It got one point seven oh, wow, million that's... households watching it. It was not a popular episode. Um, yeah, I remember me. trying to introduce a friend of mine into Buffy, um, and I think it was—I mean, she did get into it eventually because it's when those these VHS sets were coming out. Yeah, and this was yeah. one of the ones on the VHS sets, and she refused to watch it. Mm-hmm. She was like, "No, 
no, it's got a dummy. I'm not doing it. Forget right. it. I'm not doing it. No, we got her through to, I think, I think we got her watching in season three. And then we caught her up pretty well between the videotapes. And then I had a friend that would, that taped them all because he was obsessed, as obsessed as I was, am still. Um, and we got her caught up and she became a huge fan, but she refused, refused to watch this episode because of the ventriloquist dummy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is not the first possessed or demonic or whatever ventriloquist dummy storyline ever. I mean, obviously... There's a ton of them. uh, The uh, Anthony Hopkins magic is, you know, a classic, scary as hell, talking dummy thing. And Uh, um, With my age, I immediately go R.L. Stein, Night of the Living Dummy, so... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I have a dummy movie in my age bracket. Well, yeah, mine isn't a dummy the, movie. The mine classic. is a book, and then uh, the Goosebumps TV show. So. Yeah. But what I find interesting is I, this is the only one. This is the only one I can think of where the dummy actually turns out not to be evil. That's probably why they did it. Yes, they wanted to subvert that is the genre. True. Yeah. So it was. It, it was definitely. It, it. It's even more than usual. It was a subversion of the genre yeah. because I mean I literally cannot think of another example. Yeah. I can't either. So this episode, I think, wins for best uh, translated episode title, uh, because I found a couple of the translations for it. I mean, most of them are pretty standard. It's like the puppet or the puppet show. But the German one, I will not read the German because I don't know how to speak German, but it translates to Buffy lets the puppets dance. <laughs> that's so german I that love is it. so ridiculously german i love it it's like that it's, is this the best i love it so much yeah even in english that's german that's <laughs> yeah so well, for any sure. final like last minute things on this episode um yeah i had i had like two you know nitpicky things uh so I, they talk about how you know, he uh, he encountered, he killed a demon, there was a curse, now I'm a puppet. Yeah. They don't really make it clear that the demon in question was one of the seven, or why one of them would have cursed him. Hmm. Huh. And so, so I'm, I'm, my, my, my note was, what is the relationship between killing the seventh demon and and lifting the puppet curse. I always and then I, th- thought it was one of the seven demons. I, I mean, I, obviously that is a possible explanation, but the way it's written doesn't really make that clear. Mm-hmm. So that's so I so again note note to twenty years ago, Buffy writers, like clean clean that up. Um, <laughs> my other thing though is when the talent show is about to start. And uh, when when Cordy comes in and has the thing with Giles and Giles says, picture everyone in their underwear and, you know, that whole thing. When that conversation ends, Giles heads up the stairs and there is a girl playing the violin, except she's and, and you can hear the violin being played. She appears to be actually just rubbing the bow against the side of the violin, not actually touching any of the strings. <laughs> <laughs> and it's I don't because know it's what... avant-garde. I guess I, 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 I like I'm looking at that. I'm just like 
I, I don't, I, I don't get it. It must be avant garde. <laughs> I, I honestly had no idea what they were thinking when they shot that. I think what they were thinking was they hired an actress who couldn't play the violin, and it's like, please don't touch the strings. <laughs> I guess I, I guess, guess so. that's I it. I never noticed it, that. I never. But noticed if if you that. go back and look at it, it just looks really weird. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the, yeah, those are those are my my uh, traditional nitpicky things. Well, I think that's you know our roles, much like the Scoobies, are getting solidified here mm. on the podcast. And yours is nitpicker. Oh, oh yes, no question. That. Uh, and mine is I lusting for Giles and mm-hmm. uh, pointing out all of the problematic things with Sander. Oh, well, I think you and I share those roles. That's our job. Yeah, that's like a co-Judy kind of yeah. thing. Um, okay, so yeah. do you have any final? I don't. I, overall, I think it's I think it's a really fun episode, and it's not one I skip upon rewatch. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah. nice, fun little yeah. one shot. So uh, next time we'll be reviewing Nightmares, which will be, I think. And another interesting one to go over. So, uh, mm-hmm. until then, grr, arg, grr, arg, grr, arg. We'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the podcast, and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared, liked, and subscribed on social media. If you'd like your questions or comments read on the show, you can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com on YouTube at Return to the Hellmouth, on Tumblr and Facebook at Return to the Hellmouth, or on Twitter at Hellmouth Return, or on email at Return to the Hellmouth at gmail.com. We'll be sure to read your comments on the show. Be sure to rate our show at iTunes and Stitcher. Also check out MC's YouTube channel. See you on Tuesday for Nightmares. Grr. Arg.